Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Well, hello there, and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. On Tuesday, October 27th, he is Scott White. I am Frank Sample, and there's a lot going on in the world. We already knew that, but specifically for the purposes of this show, the World Series has been insane, Halloween is coming up, and I've had some big movie weekends the past few weeks. Scott, you interested? Are you interested in hearing about oh, this? Oh, I'm interested, sure. Let's, let's see what... Let's see what you've finally gotten around to seeing. All right, so I'm not sure anybody else cares, but maybe they do. I watched both the first and the second Matrix movie. Okay. All right. I mean, the I, first one's the only one that's really worth it. but Well, that's what it, everyone it, said, too. But I, I feel like after you watch the first one, you kind of have to watch the next two just to know how it ends, right? I yeah, guess. no. No? No. no I mean, I'd one? say the same for Jurassic Park. Uh yeah, I don't feel like I don't feel like every movie that was made into a trilogy, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you you, you you should just quit while you're ahead. And then yeah. Matrix is a perfect example of that. But that's fine. That's fine. OK, well, at least now, you saw the first one now. Now, yeah, the first one was very good. Some of the action didn't really age well, but OK, I'm well, watching a movie. Here's the thing that you have to remember, Frank, is, is you know, the action sequence with the, the, the slow motion bullets and uh, and you know, the dodging of the bullets that, that became so mimicked thereafter that now it seems trite, but it didn't at the time. I know I have to to put yourself in the spot when it came out. It came out in 1999. So I understand like that was an iconic scene, but I'm just like, all right, you know, they're going through this hallway. They're dodging all these bullets. Ah, Doesn't really seem believable, but it's fine. I think, I thought the context of the movie was still really damn good. Um, but yeah, I liked it. Uh, the second one was very confusing, so now I got to watch the third <laughs> one to see how it ends, of course. Uh, and, and I also watched The Lost Boys. Scott, are you a big fan of uh, Halloween movies or vampire movies for that matter? I I can't say that I am. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I know what that movie is, to be mm. honest. So maybe maybe now people are going to get on me. I don't know. Okay, Lost Boys. Well, if anyone's listening to this and you're a big fan of Lost Boys, then you get it, Scott, and you yell at him even though I just watched it this past weekend for the first time. It's The Lost Boys? The Lost Boys, yeah. It's a okay. famous vampire movie from, I want to say, the early 90s? So we're not rich? talking about Peter Pan's posse. No, we're talking no, about no, no, no. Something else. No. Okay. But my brother was getting on my case for years. He's like, top three vampire movie. You got to watch it. He's big on vampires. So I, it was pretty good. It was, it was top fine. Top three vampire movie. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a big vampire <laughs> that is a guy. Sh- that is a subgenre right there. <laughs> Of course it is. So I wanted to catch you up and let you know where I was movie-wise, uh, but hopefully these next couple of weekends. It's getting cold here in New York, so stay inside a little bit and uh, c- 
catch up on some movies. So I got that going on. I mentioned Halloween is coming up this week. Scott, you a big Halloween guy? Got a costume? I do have a costume this year, actually, for the <laughs> entertainment of my children. It, it's going to be the first time I've dressed up for Halloween since I was probably like 14 years old. I'm not a big Halloween guy. I have nothing against Halloween. I just, you know, I, I don't, I, I've never cared for the indignity of dressing up. And obviously, um, you know, obviously candy hasn't been, hasn't been a, a, something that's inspired me to do it since I was very young. And, uh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I, I think I called it a few weeks back on the show. I called it a second tier holiday. And I'll I'll stick with that. Oh man, that's I, I'm okay with it, but I I, Second I think tier. it's a little weird how into it some people get. No, yeah, some people are into it for sure. I you know, I really like what it represents, at least in the Northeast. It's like the time of year where the the weather is cooling off, and I, there's just something about it, the decorations. I, my family and I have always like decorated the house and stuff, so we, we do go pretty uh pretty all out for Halloween, I would say. Should we yeah. should we do our next podcast in our Halloween costumes? Are we allowed to do um, that? If, if I can throw it together that quick. I mean, my mom, my wife's kind of putting it together, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to spring that on her and then it not come through. But but basically, I'm Bob from Puppy Dog Pals. Okay. <laughs> I got to hit yeah. the Google no, machine. No, you're not, you're not going to get that reference. But Bob, <laughs> no idea. He, he, he is the, the owner of Bingo and Rolly, the Puppy Dog Pals. It, it is the best cartoon that my children watch. And um, I have no yeah, idea what this I'm is. Bob. But I don't have kids, so I, I think that kind of makes sense. Sure. I have a niece. She watches a lot of, uh, like, the Trolls movies and stuff like that. And I don't know. Peppa Pig. That's something that she watches, too. But, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, this could be interesting if you actually dress up like this. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk off I'm not air. dyeing we'll, my hair red or anything. We'll figure, so. we'll figure out if we can make this happen or not. Scott, I mentioned that the uh, the World Series has been... Pretty crazy to this point. When we were recording this on Monday night, the Dodgers are up 3-2. to two. Randy Rosarena scores on a botched relay at the end of Game 4 that had everyone talking. It was just like a wild play. And the only way that I could think about that, Scott, is like when you draft a player you really don't want to and then it turns out being great. Like, it was just a bad decision all around for a Rosarina to be that aggressive and around third base the way he did. He falls down on the ground, gets up, still scores anyway. It's like, you know this isn't going to work out drafting this player, but when it actually does, it feels pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's happened to me before. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. We were, making, sure funny, happened, we were making fun of you for drafting Hyunjin Ryu in one of our leagues like really early, and then he was awesome. Well, that's on you guys. I wasn't making fun of myself for that. Come I on. Think, I think you did. I think even you did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. But was he wrong for Eros Arena? Was he? I mean, he fell down, obviously, so he would have been out because he fell down. I watched that play a few times. Fall, if, he haven't, if he didn't fall down, would he have been out? I, I think he would have been out. Hmm. But, yeah. I mean, just watching that, like, I feel like he would have. But Will Smith dropped the ball, of course. And, yeah. I don't know, but it was uh, it was crazy. The whole World Series, the whole postseason has been just crazy and wild and fantastic and a lot of fun, which we could really use for the sport of baseball. But today on the show, we are 
doing part one of our early starting pitcher preview for 2021. And of course, we'll have part two later on in the week with a special guest. Hopefully, hopefully that happens. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Scott, let's just jump right in. And I think like the outfield position, there's a very clear top three here at starting pitcher. And I don't like I feel like you can ask different people to have different combinations of all right, who do they have first, second, third, and they'll have different reasonings for it. But those three are DeGrom, Garrett Cole, and Shane Bieber. So how do you have those three ranked? And why do you have whoever you have number one at number one? Okay. Yep. They're the three. They, in, all, in my mind, they're all first rounders, regardless of format. Uh, I, have, I order them Bieber, DeGrom, and Cole. I do think DeGrom is the most... In, in terms of pure talent, he's number one. I think he showed that this year with swinging strike rate. Second place in swinging strike rate was Lucas Giolito with 17.3. So I'm just I'm just laying out the context for the number I'm going to give you for DeGrom. Second place this year, Giolito, 17.3%. The leader last year was Garrett Cole, 16.8%. Jacob DeGrom this year was 21.6%. Just blew everybody out of the water with the completely unbelievable number and i mean that, that <laughs> he keeps getting better he was throwing harder with his fastball he he's just he's really good shane bieber actually had the better strikeout rate strikeout per nine innings he was over 14 uh degrom was just under 14 so what it translated to with that statistic i mean it didn't make a big difference there but really the main reason shane bieber stands out from degrom the reason why i rank him ahead is how deep he pitches into games how efficient he is this year um number of starts going going seven innings or more bieber had five degrom had three and if you go six innings or more, Bieber had two more than DeGrom as well. One of my favorite stats from last season, um, if I could look it up real quick, the number of times pitchers, certain pitchers went, uh, went more than seven innings. Shane Bieber had 10 times last year, more than seven innings. Shane Bieber had 10, Max Scherzer five, Justin Verlander four, Garrett Cole three, Jacob deGrom two. So this is two years in a row where he's really stood out with that in that measurement. And he's such a good strike thrower that it's understandable why. Uh, but Cleveland lets him do it. That's the other thing. And, and with that, I mean, obviously there are some direct benefits to going deep into games, but an indirect benefit that is particularly relevant in DeGrom's case is it's really hard for Shane Bieber if he pitches well, if he pitches like he's been pitching the last two years, it's really hard for him to have a bad win-loss record if he's going that deep that consistently. And on the other hand, DeGrom, three years in a row, very disappointing win-loss record for as well as he's pitched. And I, you know, the Mets have given other pitchers a good win-loss record, so I keep thinking that's going to change one of these years, but it's especially compared to Bieber, it's it's hard to just give DeGrom that benefit of the doubt. Last three years, DeGrom 10 and 9, 11 and 8, 4 and 2. And it's so fluky too, right? It's like, We can't predict wins, obviously, and you brought up the fact that the Mets offense has actually been pretty good. I looked this up before the show, and the Mets had an 807 OPS as a team. That was third best in baseball. So their offense is actually pretty good. 
they actually they now have a owner who seems like he's going to be willing to spend money. Not that I really think that they even need to spend money on offense because, again, it, it has been pretty good. So I am in the belief that eventually one of these years – the fortunes are going to turn around for Jacob deGrom. Uh, I would have him as the SP1 ahead of Shane Bieber, and it's just because he's done it for longer. Uh, he has been the most consistent starting pitcher since the beginning of the 2018 season, a 2.10 ERA, first among all qualified starting pitchers, 628 strikeouts since 2018, and a 0.94 whip, which is second among all starting pitchers throughout that time. Um, I, I would say the one drawback for DeGrom outside of the wins, which you can't predict, is the fact that he is turning 33 years old next season, and he has dealt with a few of these nagging injuries. So I guess, you know, if you want to make the case against Jacob DeGrom, that's probably it. And what I would say for Shane Bieber, Scott, is he was ridiculous in 2020. Just, I mean, we're talking double-digit strikeouts in eight of his 12 starts, just completely revamped his arsenal, uh, used his fastball less, curveball more, Cutter has like five different pitches that he uses. Fastball velocity was up as well. Bieber was awesome. He also had a cakewalk schedule. So I don't know how much we factored that in because he legitimately only faced the Royals, the Twins, who were a little bit more average this year than where they've been the past couple of seasons, the Reds, White Sox, Tigers, Pirates, and Brewers. So that would probably be my case against, but it's not really a good one. I think it's 1A for me, DeGrom, and 1B, Shane Bieber. And then I think Garrett Cole, at least for me, is clearly behind both of those, although I've heard people make the argument that Garrett Cole should still be number one, which I don't really get. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, that's... I I don't know. Did you do the trick where you looked at last 162 games? I guess that's that's a little harder for starting pitchers because you can't. Yeah, so I did last... Like 162, you have to come up with a number of... A, a magical number of stars, like 32 or something. Yeah, I, I, I did know. 32. Is there okay. is there something you want to know for... Yeah, was, does, does Garrett, Cole come, Garrett Cole come out ahead? I know he was especially good down the stretch in 2019, so I could see that being the case. Oh, yeah, he actually... He is, in terms of... Let's see, last 32 starts, a 2.08 ERA, 0.86 whip... 304 strikeouts and 207 and two-thirds innings pitched for Garrett Cole. The yeah. e, the ERA was also low twos for DeGrom. It was 2.05, 0.90 whip, uh, 275 strikeouts and 202 and a third. The only reason why I say Garrett Cole is very clearly third for me, Scott, is because there, there are just things that worry me a tad about him. Since his move to the Yankees and pitching in Yankee Stadium, uh, his 37% hard contact rate in 2020, albeit it was only 12 starts, was the sixth highest among qualified starting pitchers. His average exit velocity went from 87.6 miles per hour in 2019 to 90.9 miles per hour in 2020. And league average is 88. So Garrett Cole did give up harder contact this year, still gives up a lot of fly balls, and he pitches in a smaller ball ballpark than he used to in Yankee Stadium. So I, I think he's still very good, and I wouldn't mind using a late first-round pick on him, even a mid-first-round pick if those other guys are gone. But I, I think that the other two at this point are safer. I don't think there's much risk with any of them, to be perfectly honest. I mean, Shane Bieber was the one who gave up all the hard contact in 2019, remember, and, and it was a lot better for him in 2018. I, I mean, 2020, introducing 
that cutter to his arsenal, right? Uh, so maybe maybe Bieber solved that problem completely, or maybe you know, just in 2018, Garrett Cole's first year with the Astros, his average exit velocity was much closer to 2020 than than 2019 when it was especially low. Um, and I want to say through the same number of starts in 2019, Garrett Cole had a higher ERA than he had in his first year with the Yankees, the, the shortened 2020 season. So, you know, it, it's not like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, there's no real reason for concern for Garrett Cole. Obviously he wasn't as dominant in 2020 as he was in 2019, but it was, it was in a range of outcomes that I certainly find acceptable. And I don't think, I, I don't think this is necessarily the new baseline for him either. Yeah, and everything I just said about Garrett Cole was just me splitting hairs for a reason to have him third. I think that the yeah. other two are just a little bit safer than him, and I wouldn't mind using a mid-to-late first-round pick on Garrett Cole. And something that I'm going to be likely to do this season is use my first-round pick on a starting pitcher because I worry a little bit about this next group, this round two range, round three, and I just think that these guys that are going in the first round are, are just extremely safe. This is where the actual debate starts. And really, I mean, everyone's starting pitcher ranks could go haywire is once we get to SP4. And for you, Scott, you have you Darvish in this spot. But I really think that you can make the no, case. No, no, no. No, I have Trevor Bauer. You have Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Okay. My bad. Trevor. You have Trevor <laughs> Bauer fourth. <laughs> yes. Uh, I even wrote it down that way. I don't know why I said that you have you Darvish fourth. Maybe that's because I want to have you Darvish fourth. But... <laughs> You have Trevor Bauer, then Darvish, then Giolito. No, then you have Nola, Giolito. Okay, I'm all over the place. Bauer, Darv Darvish, Nola, Giolito are your next four through seven, but I really think that you can make the case for any one of those to be the next starting pitcher off the board, Scott. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, I mean, Bauer and Darvish were significantly better in 2020 than Nola and Giolito were. Uh, you know, either you could give the NL Cy Young to either of Bauer or Darvish. I, I think it's probably going to go to Bauer, but you know, Darvish's numbers are amazing too. It's just, I feel like it, they have bigger misses in their track record, right? Of course, Bauer just last year uh, was a big miss. And so, you know, it makes me reluctant to buy into this newer version of them that's better than anything we've ever seen before, especially since it was over a two-month period. But uh, I, I've always believed in the skill set for both Bauer and Darvish. And I, when they're that dominant, I, I don't know. I... I just I I feel like I really couldn't justify ranking them any lower than where I have them here, fourth and fifth in my rankings, even knowing they have kind of a spotty each of them has kind of a spotty track record. Yeah, actually I feel pretty safe about Darvis, which is a, a feeling I did not feel heading into the twenty twenty season. I, I needed to see more. I needed to see him continue to what he did in the second half of twenty nineteen. And that's exactly what he did in twenty twenty. The pitch that made him so successful in that breakout 2019 uh, was his cutter. And he continued to use it around 40% of the time 
in this shortened season, and his fastball velocity was up a little bit. Again, this is you, Darvish, that we're talking about. So I would actually rank him fourth. I would take him ahead of Trevor Bauer. No surprise there because I obviously have a very tumultuous past when it comes to Trevor Bauer. And, Scott, I'm just left trying to figure out what, how and why. Those... And, and I can't necessarily put my finger on it, which means I am not going to feel comfortable using a second-round pick on Trevor Bauer. I understand the spin rates were up, but was there a reason for that outside of him just working with driveline baseball more? The guy is super smart. Why didn't he just do this in the past, right? I, I just I can't really put my pulse on it. Um, his fastball was just incredible this year, uh, but... Well, I, I think if I'm spending a second round pick on Bauer, Darvish, Nola, or Giolito, any of the four, mm-hmm. like if, if I'm if I'm investing a second round pick in them, I'm kind of committing to going SP heavy, which I probably am going to do in a lot of leagues. But I, I don't think you can make that kind of investment in a pitcher with um with you, you know, none of them make me comfortable enough to say, okay. I got my number one starting pitcher spot covered now. I don't need to draft another pitcher until round six or whatever. Like none of them give me that comfort level. Uh, Bieber, Degrom, Cole might if I get them in my first. If I get one of them in my first round with my first round pick, I'm not necessarily committing to not going SP heavy. But it doesn't feel like there's as much pressure to do so than if I went with one of these other guys in round two. Because I I get what you're saying with Bauer. Like I uh, might. My assumption for him heading into 2020 is he got away from throwing his curveball. He put way more balls in the air as a result, which didn't play well in the juice ball environment. Certainly didn't play well going to Cincinnati, where his numbers took a turn for the worse. So he needed to throw more curveballs to get that fly ball rate down. Didn't happen. That's not how he succeeded. All his pitches were more effective. He had a higher spin rate on all of them. So, you know whatever he did to do that hopefully he continues to do it but the numbers are just unbelievable 11 starts a 173 ERA 0.8 whip 12.2 12.3 K per nine and obviously he was he's a guy who takes on a big workload uh, there's some thought that wherever he signs next year I, I imagine it'll come up during negotiations that'll try to pitch every fourth day uh, instead of every fifth day and if that happens then he's going to have a huge workload advantage on top of everything else assuming he can maintain the same level of effectiveness so yeah i mean there's just so much upside here for bauer coming off a year in which he revealed it i don't know yeah i feel like you have to rank him here i don't want to sell him short either because if people listen all season long they know they they're going to think that okay frank's just being a bauer hater and it's, it's not it's just I'm trying to figure out how he got to where he did, and, and I, I can't really figure it out. So I, I'm likely not going to use a second-round pick on Trevor Bauer. The other names that I would include in this range, mention them, Lucas Giolito and Aaron Nola. And I think Nola is probably the, the one that I feel safest outside of you, Darvish. I don't, I don't know if I should feel that way or not, but for some reason, I just do. His underlying numbers were really, really good. In this shortened season, he had a 2.79 xFIP, which was fourth best among qualified starting pitchers. And he he did some things to change up his arsenal. Again, this is Aaron Nola. Um, he career high used his change up a career high 27% of the time. Uh, that was never higher than 19.6% in the past. So 
talked about this in season. The changeup and curveball were plus pitches for him and helped his fastball play up because it's not really a great pitch. Giolito, I still really like, and the whiffs and the strikeouts are fantastic, but for him, I just don't think that he really has a third reliable pitch. His slider is like, okay, it's an average pitch, uh, and he still walks a lot of guys, so I would put him probably towards the bottom of this tier, but he deserves to be ranked in this range, Giolito and Aaron Nola. Yeah, Giolito, the walks were kind of inconsistent this year, and of course he had the no-hitter, uh, he had some huge strikeout games. He, I mentioned earlier he had the second-best swinging strike rate of any pitcher this year, uh, but just a little inconsistent. I mean, Nola was too, but I think people will be surprised to see, looking back on it, that Nola had 12.1K per nine this year. And, you know, heading into his final three starts, that's, that's where he kind of, like, Early on, he was looking like an easy number four in my starting pitcher rankings. But those last four starts took his ERA from 240 to 328. Uh, just did not, just ended the season on a down note there, clearly. But, uh, you know, taking the, the, all the stats for the full two months, he had the fourth best XFIP of any pitcher. It was Shane Bieber, number one. It was Jacob DeGrom, number two. I'll leave number three as a secret for now. But number four was Aaron Nola in, in XFIP. That's compared to you, Darvish, being fifth, and Trevor Bauer was only eighth. So, uh, yeah, I feel comfortable ranking Nola where I do actually ahead of Giolito. I have him fifth overall. And for Giolito, I will just point out, you mentioned his big no-hitter, which came against the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is obviously a great matchup. And he had a two-start stretch where he had... 16 shutout innings against the Tigers and the Pirates with 26 strikeouts in that span. In his other 10 starts, he had a 4.49 ERA. So those two starts, really good matchups, accounted for a huge part of Giolito's season. And, you know, there was some inconsistency, definitely some inconsistency with Aaron Nola as well. But I do think Nola, at this point, is a little bit safer, higher ground ball rate, and less walks from Aaron Nola. Before we get to our next group, we already mentioned Halloween is nearly here, but we have a ton of other holidays coming up and ones that you need to look good for. It's time to head over to Express. I really can't stress how unique Express is with a combination of comfort and style you've never experienced before. What we're offering you today is $25 off your next $50 purchase. All you have to do is text BASEBALL to 397-737. Again, text the word BASEBALL to 397-737. No matter what you're looking for, you can find over at Express. I've mentioned in recent weeks they have jackets and sweaters for the fall. They have everyday clothing items like jeans, v-necks, and crew neck shirts. I recently looked at their men's 1MX dress shirts, which are breathable, moisture-wicking, and stretchy. If you have a job where you need to wear a dress shirt, you realize how important comfort is. Not only that, you'll look sharp and feel confident as well. Remember, the offer we have for you today is $25 off your next $50 purchase at Express by texting BASEBALL to 397-737. Next up, you have a group of oldies here, Scott, at 8 and 9. You have Max Scherzer at 8 and you have Clayton Kershaw at nine. Scott, is it crazy that I just want to say I, I will not be drafting Max Scherzer in 2021? No, it's not crazy to say that. I think that's a better safe than sorry play, and I get it. 
I don't see I don't see a lot of reason to think he's actually on the decline here. Uh, in terms of stuff, he measured about the same as he always has. Um, so that includes, you know, K per nine rate was 12.3. The swinging strike rate was, sorry, I'm having to look this up on the fly. I don't have the number ready to go. The swinging strike rate was 14.7. That was down a little, but obviously 14.7, a really good swinging strike rate. And I think the velocity was about the same for Max Scherzer too. So I don't see a lot of evidence of the decline. He had, he had most some trouble finding the strike zone this year. Uh, but I think I, I think it's one of those situations where if the season had played out in full, Max Scherzer probably would have leveled off as something more typical, uh, what we're used to seeing from him. And, and as it is, he finished with the 374 ERA, that great strikeout rate. The whip was kind of high because of the walks, and he had some bad Babbitt luck, it looks like to me. But I, I still think Max Scherzer's good. Uh, as of right now, I mean, now he goes into next season, it'll be his age 37 season, or maybe his age 30. He, tur- he turns 37 in July, so mm-hmm. he's getting up there. Yeah. I, 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 and, and you worry about a health risk because of that. You know, he's had some kind of minor injuries over the past couple of years, and uh, maybe those will become more frequent. Maybe he can't take on that big workload. But I kind of feel like also... This year, especially 2021, after a year where every pitcher's innings were limited. And of course, we've asked every guest about this. How do they expect teams to handle pitchers innings next year? And like, uh, uh, Max Scherzer is just going to get turned loose, right? Like that's, that's one guy, you know, he has to stay healthy, obviously, but you don't worry about a team restricting his workload the way you might for a younger guy. I don't know if I'm overreacting to just 12 starts, obviously, here from Max Scherzer, but what if you mentioned the volume that he'll give you, and he'll give you all these innings. What if those innings that he gives you are just not good ones? What what if they are hurtful innings more than they are helpful ones? And maybe it was just a, a rough start to the season, and you know he would have leveled out as the season went on, but... The batting average and the BABIP have both been on the rise each of the past two seasons and seem like they might be correlated with the two highest hard hit rates of his career, up over, I think, believe it was like 33 and 35% each of the past two seasons. Walked more batters than he ever did uh, since 2010, his highest walks per nine. And according to StatCast, 4.21 XERA. So he gave up some hard contact this season as well. Getting older, I just man, like if both of these guys are on the board, Scherzer versus Kershaw. I think there's obvious risk in both of them, but I do think when Kershaw is on the field, I still think that he is much safer at this point. And I don't know if that's fair, Scott. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird because certainly we were. I, I a couple of years ago, I was much more worried about the the trajectory Clayton Kershaw was on than I am about Scherzer's. I, I agree with that. By the way, it's just. What he did this past season really, I mean, it made me feel better. The fact that his fastball velocity was up and he also worked with driveline baseball. Mm-hmm. I don't think that his upside is massive anymore. You're not going to get 11, 12, 13 Ks per nine like we're talking about with some of these other pitches, pitchers, but... Kershaw you're talking about. For Kershaw. Because Scherzer, you might. Yeah, no, with Scherzer, you might. I think that they're, it's probably fair to say he has higher, Scherzer has higher upside but I also think a lower floor 
than Kershaw. So it depends what you're looking for at this point in the draft. But I, I do think Kershaw is the safer of yeah. the two. I, I mean, maybe. I maybe. I I just I, I guess it depends on what what you value most from a pitcher. The the numbers you trust the most. I don't. I've, I've talked about it before. The reason I my xFIP is my go-to for ERA estimator as opposed to xERA, which is Statcast's uh, metric for that, is because I trust things like like strikeouts and walks and whiff rate. Not that xFIP directly measures whiff rate, but those are the kinds of things I trust more to demonstrate a pitcher's ability than than how hard the contact is that he's giving up, uh, which is what xERA measures. And I feel like you'll see a lot more fluctuation with XERA than you will with XFIP. I'm sure there's been actual research done to show whether or not that's the case, but when I'm going case by case with high-end pitchers like this, that's what I see. Um, and, you know, the exit velocity for Scherzer, yeah, it was the highest of his career. It was like league average. It wasn't like we were seeing from, you know, Shane Bieber last year when everybody was freaked out about that. I think the fact he's throwing just as hard as usual, Scherzer is, his swinging strike rate, down a little, but two months, you know, it's, it's still a good swinging strike rate. And it was just two months. Uh, and then the walks, I mean, that's something we've never seen before from him. That's not really something I associate with the decline. So I, I think Scherzer's fine, but I could be wrong. We shall see an interesting off season com- conversation regarding Max Scherzer. I have a feeling that he's going to be a pretty polarizing player in the 2021 season. We're going to take a quick break. Just want to remind everybody that the UEFA Champions League is back with every match streaming on CBS All Access. Messi, Neymar, Lewandowski, icons of today, but the next generation is not far behind. Match day two of the group stage is here this week, and you don't want to miss the drama of the world's most prestigious tournament combined with the world-class coverage of CBS Sports. Go to CBS dot com slash UCL to start your free trial today. The UEFA Champions League. There's nothing like it. All right. This next group that I have here, I've dubbed the wild card crew. Why is that? Well, you'll find out after the break here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. The Wild Card Crew here on Fantasy Baseball Today. No, that's not Scott and me. That's actually the next five starting pitchers that I wanted to mention on <laughs> in Scott's ranks here. And a lot of names, but. Buckle down. Get ready. Luis Castillo at number 10. Kenta Maeda, number 11. Jack Flaherty, 12th. Walker Buehler, 13th. Zach Gallen at 14. And, Scott, I mean, there's just like a lot of names in this group that I do. You're not really sure, or at least I'm not, as of now. Got to do more research on these guys in the offseason. But what to expect heading into next season for various reasons. 
Kenta Maeda, this is the first time we've ever seen him be this good, and, and the Twins really seem to limit his pitch count. Jack Flaherty, do we just give him a pass for this year? What do the innings look like in 2021? Walker Bueller has these blister issues, but has now looked fantastic in the postseason. Zach Gallen, I actually pre- feel pretty safe about, actually. I, I you know, I, I kind of trust him at this point. And Luis Castillo, I could say the same thing, but the walks are always kind of there and, you know, creep into the back of your mind here, Scott. So Luis Castillo, Kenta Maeda, Jack Flaherty, Walker Bueller, uh, Zach Gallen. Did I rightfully dub this group the wild card crew? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Zach Gallen, uh, I, I think it's a step behind the others for me. So I might lump him in with the with the next group of names because I had more... I wasn't exactly so Zach Gallen, where is he now? He's 14th in my rankings. I wasn't sure exactly who I wanted 14th. I went with Zach Gallen there. But the Wait, others, Luis. I Castillo, think it's a good spot for him, by the way. Like I was oh. thinking about should he be higher, but I don't I don't think you could realistically put him any higher than this. Well, that that's that's where it gets to the issue of what kind of volume do you expect these guys to have? And there's no precedent, certainly not a recent precedent, uh, that that really takes into account the way pitchers are used today to, to guide us on this. I'm, I'm just going on a hunch here, how much I expect pitchers to be affected by, uh, by, by the, the workload issues of this year. And, and the fact that everybody's going to be making a big jump in innings next year and who, which who's going to be treated, who's, who's going to be handled carefully because of that. And who's going to be just turned loose. And I suspect I'm pretty confident Walker Bueller is going to be handled carefully because of that. Because when has Walker Bueller not been handled carefully, right? That's the reason he's 13th here for me and not 10th or even higher. And I, I'm not sure I even really want him at 13th. That's just as far as I could justify downgrading him based on that hunch. Because obviously he's uber talented, but he let everybody down this year because the Dodgers were handling him carefully, even though... Uh, you know, the season was going to end at a point where he wasn't going to accumulate that many innings. They just didn't build him up as quickly as as most pitchers were built up. So that's why Walker Bueller is 13th. And Jack Flaherty, he doesn't have the same history as Walker Bueller, but just because he's so young and because he's such a big part of the Cardinals' future, I suspect they'll be pretty careful with him too. So that made it pretty easy for me to rank Luis Castillo in spite of his shortcomings. Yeah, he's he's a little rough around the edges still, but I mean, the skills are clearly there and he's put together two really good seasons in a row, even if he had us worried at times during the over the course of those two seasons. And uh, Kenta Maeda, that was the surprise for me. Kenta Maeda, uh, that I was willing to slot him as high as 11th. But... I mean, I think, I think the concerns about him going beyond six innings are pretty. Heading into a season like we're heading into, I don't think they matter that much. And he was awesome in his first year with the Twins. He was he was third in xFIP. Remember, I skipped over the guy who was third. It went Shane Bieber, Jacob Degrom, Kenta Maeda, and then Aaron Nola, who I referred to being fourth, uh, and just. All the ways we thought Kenta Maeda was going to break break out joining the Dodgers, it was that and more. He was just amazing, a true ace 
by any way you want to measure it, except maybe how deep he pitches into games. And I might argue that Luis Castillo should be part of the Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito group, at least if you look at the underlying numbers, the swinging strike rate and just the stuff, right? You watch Luis Castillo pitch. It feels like he should be part of that group. I think the one thing that holds him back is the walks and the fact that that has affected his whip in the past three seasons for Luis Castillo, a 1.22, 1.14, 1.23. Those are the whip the past three seasons, and that's really what's holding him back from becoming a true ace for fantasy purposes. But if he can get that down to closer to 1.10 with a low threes ERA and the 11 or 12 Ks per nine, then you're looking at, okay, potential top eight, top five starting pitcher season out of Luis Castillo. But um, he has yet to show that he can actually make that jump. Kenta Maeda, you know, some people might ask, Scott, how, how did we get here with Kenta Maeda? Kind of what I was trying to do with Trevor Bauer, like how was Kenta Maeda this good? Well, it's a little bit more explainable for Maeda. He had the best command of his career, 1.35 walks per nine, only 10 walks in 66 and two thirds. He had a 21.5% hard contact rate, which was the best among all qualified starting pitchers, a career best 49% ground ball rate, and he changed his arsenal. He decreased his fastball usage about 12%, and it was addition by subtraction for Maeda. Slider usage up, changeup usage up, and, and all those things in conjunction led to this breakout season for Maeda. I made yep. the argument against Bieber. I have to do the same thing for him. He did have a great schedule, however. The only teams he faced this year, Tigers, White Sox, Indians, Brewers, and Pirates. It was a great schedule for Maeda, Scott, so... It was, but that, you know, the, the, what you noted with the change in pitch selection, that's, that's something we've seen from a lot of pitchers, just the, the simple approach of throwing your best pitches more. And, you know, it's every pitcher tends to throw his fastball more than anything else. And the ones we've seen get away from that have typically had a lot of success right afterward. Uh, and so, now Kintamaida, his primary pitch became the slider this year, basically. And we saw big results. And in addition to being third in XFIP, Kintamaida was third in swinging strike rate after Jacob deGrom and Lucas Giolito with a swinging strike rate that would have led the majors last year. Uh, yeah, last year, 2019. And I don't know how many people feel confident that they know who Jack Flaherty is at this point, but... I feel pretty confident that I can say he's going to be a low to mid three ERA, 1.10 whip, around 10 strikeouts per nine. And and that's a really good pitcher. Again, it just comes down to you know, what does the workload look like? Uh, what are the innings in 2021? The first three seasons for Flaherty, it's been 151 in 2018, 196 and a third in 2019. And then, of course, just 40 and a third here in 2020. Weird COVID yeah. season for the Cardinals. You can't really hold it against them. He ended up with a 491 ERA and a 122 whip. He only made nine starts. Obviously, the Cardinals had that long layoff when they were sidelined by a COVID 19 outbreak. And so there were a couple, you know, and getting back into form, there were a couple of bad starts for Flaherty that inflated the numbers. But the underlying stats, swinging strike rate, uh, they, they all look good. He looked like the same pitcher he was in 2019. So I don't really have concerns about performance either. It's just the workload. And, Scott, I don't disagree with where you have Walker Buehler. You have him down at 
13, but I'm just letting you know right now that you will have no Walker Bueller in 2021. I it, am. It sounds like you are perfectly totally fine. Totally comfortable with that, yeah. Because his early ADP is 29.1, which is way ahead of Maeda. Pretty easily ahead of Flaherty. It's it's closer to the range of where Scherzer and it's actually ahead of Kershaw too. So uh, safe to say you will not have much Walker Bueller. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that Zach Gallon should probably be closer to this next group, which I have dubbed boring but reliable. <laughs> So okay. Zach Gallen joins a group of uh, Carlos Carrasco, Brandon Woodruff, and Lance Lynn, who you have at 15, 16, and 17, respectively, in your rankings. Uh, but real quick on Zach Gallen, would you be comfortable with him as your SP2 next season, let's say, in the, in the fourth round? Because I, I feel like that's probably where his ADP is going to settle in at. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. That sounds fine to me. And I think that I think this is the right category for him, even though he has yet to have a full season in the majors. First, because he was called a midseason, and then uh, the the shortened season this year. No, I I think we have a pretty good grasp of who he is, and it's a reliable pitcher. But he's he's not going to be one of these huge bat missers. He twelve point one percent swinging strike rate. He was eighteenth among qualifiers in that, and there were only when I say eighteenth. There are only 40 qualifiers. So he's basically middle of the pack among pitchers who got a lot of innings in terms of his ability to miss bats. But he has a nice varied arsenal. <laughs> On most days, he's a good strike thrower, though we see that come and go with him at times. And um, I don't know. Chris Chris has compared him to Zach Granke. I think that's underselling Zach Gallon's strikeout rate a little bit, but I, I get what he's saying there where it's, it's more, um, you know, it's it's less about pure ability than just being just just having really good approach to pitching. Just having a really good approach to pitching. Yeah, it's like the sum of the parts for Zach Gallon. He probably yeah lumps these guys together just because their initials are both ZG. I just realized. So I'm gonna have to ask Chris about that if that went into his <laughs> analysis at all. Uh, but well, Zach's. Spell their names differently, though. Yeah, we talked about this before. It's like uh, your brother spells his name differently. Yeah, I I, I don't know exactly how my brother spells his name (laughs) right now because it changed at one point. It just keeps changing. Uh, For Gallon, the one thing that I will add is that he was awesome this year. 2.75 ERA, 1.11 whip, 82 strikeouts, and 72 innings pitched. But unlike Bieber and Maeda, he actually did it differently. He had a much tougher schedule and he actually proved that he can handle himself against the Dodgers and the Astros and going into Coors Field and pitching awesome there as well. So I actually, uh, you know, I, I give Gallon a little bit more credit for that and I, this is a good spot for him, but I, I'm, I think I'm probably well, going to have a lot of him. And season. part of the reason I rank Gallon this high, in spite of him being a young guy who's still kind of breaking into the league and me worrying about everybody's workload next year is because like, since he got called up last year, they haven't, neither the Marlins nor the Diamondbacks have been that careful with his workload. He threw, he went seven innings four times this year. He went less than six innings uh, three times. Like that's, he, he was one of the most durable starters in, in all the majors. So I suspect, again, that you just have to go on a hunch with this, but I, my hunch is he'll be treated pretty normally next year. Zach Allen will. 
Um, and, and by the way, for these other three, Carlos Carrasco, Brandon Woodruff, Lance Lynn, that is the reason they're this high for me, is the, the workload consideration. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about Woodruff being part of that group, but my thinking there is he's older. It, it, you know, he, he's in his late 20s already. It feels like he should be younger than that, but he's not. Uh, the Brewers really don't have that many rotation arms they can rely on. And I, I don't know. He's done it two years in a row now. And he's he's big and he's built like a workhorse. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not totally comfortable with Woodruff in this range with Carrasco and Lynn, but I, I put him there. Really? Because he's maybe the one that I trust the most out of this group. It's just, and, and we spoke about this towards the end of the season too, is that Woodruff has just been solid. Like he's not flashy by any means, but we were hoping for him to repeat what he did in 2019 in this shortened season. And that's exactly what he's done. So he has built up the confidence uh, for me at least. And after a 3.62 ERA in 2019 comes back with a 3.05 ERA 3.29 XFIP over 11 Ks per nine, 49% ground ball rate. Brandon Woodruff is rock solid, man. And just now kind of entering his prime age too. So I, I well, think that there's a little to, bit more risk involved with both Carrasco and Lynn. To clarify, yes. I was referring to include, like these guys I'm elevating, I'm saying, because I trust them to have a big workload in a year when I'm not really sure where I can find that workload. And I'm saying maybe there's not enough evidence of that being the case for Woodruff. So it's less about how talented he is. Like, I would not have Carrasco and especially Lynn. I would not have them. That, like, next on my list is Glass now, uh, Denelson Lamette. Oh, actually, next, next is Lamette and then Glass now. But <laughs> Denelson Lamette, I love. I love what he did statistically, but they're. Like I can't count on him throwing more than 140, 150 innings next year. If that, I mean, we have to yeah. make sure that this guy's arm is still attached by the start of next season, because of course he dealt with a well, yeah, forearm elbow injury towards the end of 2020, and the reason why he couldn't pitch in the postseason. So, I mean, that's a huge, huge talking point for Denelson Lamette. We're gonna pause here. And we are up to that risk-reward group, the 18 to 20 range of Denelson Lamette, Tyler Glassnow, and Steven Strasburg. What do we do with Strasburg in 2021? That's an interesting name to talk about as well. But we will save that for part two, which we will deliver to you guys here on Thursday. For Scott White and Frank Sample, I want to thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.